The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's a statement that is found several times, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. You know, that covenant that's supposed to be a burden and keeping everybody down because of hundreds of laws and hundreds more interpretations of laws. It's in those words throughout the Old Testament that we find that statement, the joy of the Lord, especially in the book of Nehemiah, the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, Jesus promised no one will take away your joy. And he promised that in John 16. And in John chapter 16, that is the chapter where Jesus is telling his disciples, there's going to be a lot of difficulty. There's going to be a lot of trouble. People are going to be mean to you. They're going to beat you. They're going to put you in jail. Some of them may even threaten and take your life, all doing that in the name of God. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is also telling them, and I'm about to leave you, by the way. (laughs) I'm going to go away, and you're not going to see me, but then you'll see me again. And when you see me again, you will have joy, and no one will take away that joy. Jesus promises no one will take away your joy. And the Apostle Paul must have believed that because in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And you think, well, of course he can say that. He's an apostle. He's famous. He's a great preacher. Everybody loves him. Well, not really. (laughs) Because when Paul writes those words and the rest of the book of Philippians that we begin to look at today for the next uh, several weeks... He was writing from prison, very likely in Rome, while he had appealed to the Roman Emperor Caesar because he couldn't trust his own people, the Jews, to give him a fair shake or to not take his life. He appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He has that right. And so Acts 27 gives us that exciting story of of the Apostle Paul going from Caesarea where he had gone to Uh, just north of Jerusalem, across the Mediterranean Sea, finally ending up in Rome. And as he's there waiting, he's there for a couple of years, and he writes those epistles from prison. We call them the prison epistles, Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. And when he writes the book of Philippians, he tells them, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. No one can take away your joy. Jesus lived that. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, it was for the joy that Jesus saw before him that he gave his life, that he sacrificed himself and endured the cross, suffering its shame. And as you know, when Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, the very second one, love Joy. Joy is the second one of the fruit of the Spirit listed there. No one will take away your joy. But how in the world can we have joy today? In the world we're living in today, how, how is that possible? Tucker shared the wonderful stories and pictures, and I'm sure the, the kids that went would love to tell you some of those stories, to tell you about some of the kids that they bonded with during that time. 
And he shared how they're going home to uh, very horrible situations. I remember when we were working with uh, the kids at camp in Ukraine years ago, summer youth Bible camps, the kids would come and they would be there for two weeks and they would be bawling their eyes out at the end of that time because of that very reason. Because that two weeks was the only time in their year that they felt safe. But even more so that they felt loved. How can we have joy in a world like that? How can we have joy in this world that seems so insecure right now? In such a polarized world uh, politically. In such a polarized country. And looking ahead to the next couple of years thinking... Man, it's going to get a lot worse every day, (laughs) every day. We understand that. Looking at the difficulties that we have in our own families, in our own homes, in our own communities, the difficulties that are there, how can we have joy, Bill, living in the world we're in today? Boy, it must have been really easy in the first century Really? Really? As Paul writes these letters again, he's in prison, but as he writes them, he's writing to people who were just as persecuted as he was, who were meeting behind locked doors as quietly as they could be, but still giving out praise to the Lord, who were willing to speak boldly in the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, no matter the consequences. And they did that, not with fear, but they did that with joy. With joy. Why? Because Jesus said, no one will take away your joy. And the reason for that is the gospel. And that passage of scripture that Tucker mentioned is my favorite scripture today. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I tell you, if we can latch on to that and really, truly get that, we will have joy that no one can take away, no matter what. So this series on Philippians, I've entitled this way, Living a Joyful Life. And I realize right after church, I'm going to have several teachers that look at me kind of sternly and say, Bill, that is incorrect incorrect but you get it right living a joyful life living a life that is full of joy would that describe you today if i were to ask some of those people closest to you in your family or in your circle of friends or at your school or in your office in your job whatever however you do your job If I were to ask them, could you describe this person to me? Would joy be one of the words they use? Shouldn't it be? Shouldn't it be? Living a joyful life. So a few things to begin with. First of all, some fun facts about Philippi. Philippi, this city, is in modern-day Greece in the northern part. It was a Roman colony. And that makes it pretty special. Because not every town in the Roman Empire was classified as a Roman colony. 
This city was on uh, the, the Via Ignatius, that uh, uh, road that passed from the western part of Greece, modern-day Greece, Albania, Macedonia, that area, all the way across modern-day Greece, all the way through that part of Turkey until it gets to modern-day uh, Istanbul, Byzantium, that city. And as you think about that, you think about, wow, that's a really important place. And that road went through Philippi. As a Roman colony, Philippi was started, was built by Alexander the Great in the 4th century BC. And Alexander the Great named it after his dad, Philip of Macedon. And so this is a city that had great significance. Uh, Philippi was brought under Roman rule uh, when the Romans took over and was later turned into that Roman colony. And was also the site of one of the most significant military engagements in Roman history. And you may have heard of this battle. Um, in a series of battles there in 42 BC, Mark Antony and Octavian, who would take the name Augustus when he became Caesar, they conquered the forces of the assassins of Julius Caesar, Cassius, and Brutus. That was happening in Philippi. Paul found Philippi to be a cosmopolitan area. It was around 50 A.D. or A.D. 50, 50 C.E., the common era, however you want to say that. And he found it with Romans, Greeks, Jews, and people of quite diverse national and ethnic backgrounds. In fact, Paul does not quote from the Old Testament in the book of Philippians. And I think that's deliberate. Because a considerable portion of the citizens of Philippi were Romans and they lived in this city that was a Roman colony. They had special privileges as colonists. And so Paul encountered there a community of people that I think is very much like today's United States. Very patriotic, very concerned about politics and political things. This was a Roman colony. This had a great history. It was a very important city in the Roman Empire. It was strategic in its location. It was strategic in its history. And there, was, there seems to be a concern for Paul that they get the message that as Christians, they are Christians first and Roman citizens second. And it's in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul makes it very clear, stating our citizenship is where? In heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. You may live in a Roman colony with a great and important history in the world that we're still talking about today, 2,000 years later plus. You may be a Roman citizen, an actual citizen, with all of the rights there too, of the world empire right now. But your citizenship is in heaven. Christians first, Romans second. Can we apply that today? Christians first, Americans second. The church begins in Acts chapter 16, and you're familiar with this story, around, as I said, 50, uh, the year 50 to 52, somewhere in there, during Paul's second mission journey. He hears that Macedonian call, and we'll be talking about that throughout this series 
And so he goes across from uh, Asia to Europe and goes to modern-day Greece and finds himself, first of all, in the city of Philippi. And it's there that he goes to this place that looks like a place of prayer where people would gather to pray. And he goes there, and sure enough, there's a group of women that are there doing that exact thing to pray. And he preaches the message to them, that message of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. The gospel. Jesus died for you. And God raised him. And now in this world of difficulty, there is hope and you can have joy. And there's one lady that's mentioned specifically that responded and her name is Lydia. And she had Paul baptize her and her whole family. And she told him, look, where are you guys staying? And he said, well, Holiday Inn Express was all booked. So we're just going to hang out here. And she said, no, 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 you're going home with me. And it's at that point that the, the church at Philippi was formed. And it was at that part point that the church at Philippi began their partnership in ministry with Paul that he alludes to in just a little bit. Lydia is the first convert. Paul heals this slave girl and her owners get very mad because now she can't make the money and they toss him in jail. And they have him flogged first, beaten in a horribly cruel manner. Which, by the way, was illegal for a Roman citizen to experience that. And yet Paul and his missionary partner Silas are in that jail in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And at midnight they're saying, oh man, I don't know why we signed up for this. Where is God in the midst of all of this? I can't believe he's letting this go on. I can't believe he's letting us suffer like this, right? Is that how you remember Acts 16? What were they doing all night? Singing, singing, what we're going to be focusing on and have been focusing on for a while with this wonderful Songfest workshop we have coming up in two weeks, two weeks. They were singing. And about midnight, there was an earthquake and all the prisoners were released. They could have run for their lives if they wanted to. And the jailer knew it and he knew that it would be horrible for him to answer for why the jails are empty and He was about to take his life and Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. And it's not the chains and the locks and the doors that are keeping us here. The man falls at Paul's feet and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, you've got to believe, man. And he preaches the gospel to him and to his whole family in that very same hour of the night. He was baptized, just like Annie, wherever you are, Annie, was baptized in the Gulf. (laughs) That same hour of the night, that Philippian jailer was baptized and his whole family and the church was off and running. And it's interesting that in the morning when the authorities find out that Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens and they'd had them flogged and they'd put them in jail without a trial, they knew they were in big time trouble. And so they go to Paul and Silas and they say, look, we're really, really sorry. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let y'all go. No trial, no nothing. We're just going to let y'all go. We'll walk you right out back. And they said, no, 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 no. One of the few, if not only times where Paul demands justice. Rather than just being the servant, going the second mile, not making a fuss, Paul makes a huge fuss and he says, no, no, you have done wrong to us. You need to lead us out the front door so that everyone in this very important city will know that we were wronged and not in the wrong. 
And that's what happens. I have a feeling that the reason he did that is because of the status of the city and the people of Philippi. And how that would affect all of the rest of the work that he would do on that second mission journey in the northern province of modern-day Greece, Macedonia, and in the southern province of Achaia. Cities that he would go to that included Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. And so we turn to the epistle of Philippians. Written from prison again, um, along with the other prison epistles, he speaks about several things that are important. And one of them that we're going to see right off the bat here in chapter 1 is partnership in ministry. The fellowship of ministry. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment when we get there. He speaks about the humble servant attitude of Christ and how that same servant attitude should be found in his followers and in his disciples. And it's in that context that we'll come to Philippians chapter 2 and those first few verses that call us to live lives of humble service and consideration and respect and love to others. And Paul uses the best example and illustration he can of that Jesus Christ, have this mind in you, he says, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 goes on to quote what many consider an early Christian hymn. We'll be looking at that passage while Keith Lancaster is leading our worship in two weeks. He speaks of the unity of the church, and guess what? He speaks of Christian joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, whatever your circumstances. I'll say it again, rejoice. And when Paul writes those words, they know the kind of suffering that he endured right there in their city. And they know that as someone in the church there is reading this letter that Paul has sent to them from Rome, that he's in prison right now, not knowing for sure whether he'll be released or not. As we'll see next week, he thinks he's going to be. But until Caesar makes that decision there's nothing final and so let's look at the first 11 verses of philippians chapter 1 and we'll divide it up into three parts philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 the fellowship of the church first of all is the theme as he begins in chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers or bishops and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Eric has a wonderful bulletin article in his connections uh, part in the, in the bulletin today. That it, it talks about us being willing to find the church and meet with the church because that fellowship That joy of fellowship is that important to us that we'll do that even when we're away from our own individual church. Whether it's worshiping online like so many are today, which is wonderful, or finding a congregation wherever you might be and seeking it out, just as Paul did in Acts 20 when he found the church at Troas. Now, I know he had some preaching to do there, and that was his purpose. I get that. But I think even if he hadn't planned on that at all, if it was the Lord's day, he was going to find a church and have communion. And that's exactly what Acts 20 verse 7 says. Why? Because the joy of fellowship with the church was absolutely essential and was a part of his very, very being. 
He writes to God's holy people, which is actually the word for saint, which is actually not a word. <laughs> it's, uh, um, it, it's the word holy, and it's a, it's a verb that's used as a noun. It's, it's the holy ones is the specific term. We created a word from it called saint, but it's not talking about dead people. It is talking about faithful people, but it's talking about the people that were very much alive and were members of the church at Philippi. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus, together with the overseers and deacons, it's interesting that the church had been in existence for only 20 years. And we already see that structure in the local congregation This was one specific congregation in Philippi in modern-day Greece. And guess what they had? They had elders and they had deacons. Huh. And then, of course, addressing it to all of the members of the church there. He wishes them grace and peace. And how important would that be? How important are grace and peace for us today in the climate that we're in? In our 21st century American world. There was even a greater need for grace and peace. In first century Philippi. The fellowship of the church. Next is the fellowship in the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1 beginning at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He speaks of his great gratitude and how he prays for them and how he prays for them with joy. One of the things that happened when uh, Paul received news about the church at Philippi that he's kind of responding to with this letter is they brought him material possessions. They brought him money to help him on his journey and in his preaching while he was there in Rome and if he would be released. And he speaks with great gratitude and joy about them. And he speaks of their partnership in the gospel, of them sharing in the grace of God with him. And that is the term koinonia. You've probably heard that term. It's the original language. It's the term that we typically translate fellowship. Sometimes it's translated communion or Eucharist, such as in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here it's the partnership in ministry, their fellowship in ministry, everything that Paul did, they had a hand in. Not only because of their financial contributions, but because of their shared experiences and their hope in the gospel and their prayers. Paul prays that they would bring their faith to completion and he knows that God would do that. He'll mention that again in chapter 2. And again, he speaks of their great affection for each other. They're sharing the Lord, just as we sang earlier. You know, we have a partnership in ministry here. And you can look at that spreadsheet that Tucker mentioned, that chart that shows all of the different ways that this church is involved in ministry. All of the different opportunities for you to serve. And all of the, the men and women that you can call on and say, I want to help. How do I do that? 
How do I do that? How do I make my partnership in ministry more active? What a great, great blessing. Finally today in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1, it's the fellowship of prayer. And this is my prayer, Philippians 1 verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Can I ask you to do something this week? Can you pray that prayer for West Irwin Church of Christ? Can you pray that same prayer for those same things for our church every day this week? Verses 9 through 11, what do they pray for? Our love, that your love may abound more and more. That you'll have knowledge, that you'll have depth of insight. That you'll be able to discern what is best. That you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. That's what your leaders pray for our church. That's what you can pray for this church to be and to do. This is the joyful life. For first century Philippi, it was being active. For 21st century West Irwin, it's the same. Trusting, having an active faith, having a sacrificial faith, having a faith that is filled with service, with love, with hope, and with joy. Living the joyful life. When everyone around you is searching so hard to find hope somewhere, to find joy somewhere. You can live it and then you can share it because that's what they need to see and that's what they need to hear. Sharing in the fellowship of ministry brings joy that the circumstances of the world cannot take away. It's what our shepherd David Wicks prayed for us from John 15, that we would be Branches that are connected and abiding and continuing in the vine. And guess what that looks like? It looks like a joyful life. Because that's what Jesus said in that same context in those chapters in John. I am giving you my joy and no one and nothing will be able to take your joy away. Sharing in the fellowship of ministry brings joy that the circumstances of the world cannot take away. It's not based on what you're going through. It's not based on how people are treating you. It's not based on what you have. It's not based on who likes you. It's not based on who wins the next election. (laughs) Your joy is based on the one who bought you who sacrificed for you, who became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. And that's why we can rejoice in the Lord always, always. Jesus is tenderly calling you to have that joy today. If we can help, come as we stand. We sing this song.